You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. and welcome to episode number one. I am very excited to do this podcast and this is going to be a bi-weekly-ish podcast. And I say bi-weekly-ish, for the most part this is going to run on a bi-weekly basis, but there may be some times uh, here and there where it may be a once-a-month podcast. And due to the fact that I do have a few holes in my collection of some things that I uh, am trying to uh, finish up to be able to complete a certain story arc in the Robin Comics 
Uh, I was very diligent when uh, Robin first came out in his first ongoing series of collecting every single comic. But then, you know, life happens and you may forget to go to the comic book store or, you know, I started playing in a band and then I started looking at my comic book collection and go, wow, I have issue number one all the way through 45 and then I'm missing 47, but then I'm back on 48 and then I have a gap from 60 to 71 and then... You know, little things here or there. Uh, I am picking up a lot of these issues as uh, I'm recording this podcast. So hopefully that won't happen too much. Hopefully as I'm recording some of these earlier issues that I'll be picking up some of the uh, more recent issues in the Robin run. But this is going to focus on Tim Drake starting with his first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Year 3. And uh, going through all of his training through Detective Comics, his uh, three uh, Robin miniseries, Robin 1, 2, and 3, would be, you know, Robin 1, then Robin 2, uh, The Joker's Wild, then Robin 3 would be Cry the Huntress, before eventually finally getting to his uh, ongoing series that went 183 issues. So we will have a lot of books to look at and go through of uh, Tim Drake's origin. And when I was collecting comics, you know, I was a Batman fan, but I was more of a Tim Drake fan. So when I started collecting books that had Tim Drake in it, if Tim was in the book, I bought it. And I usually tried to complete that run. So it may go through, obviously we'll start in the Batman title and Detective Comics, but then Tim makes appearance over in Superman. And then he might go over to Flash for a little bit. Um, I don't have a lot of the Teen Titans run, so we won't be looking at a lot of the Teen Titans. We will be looking at some that have uh, important Tim Drake stories in, but for the most part, we're going to stay right in the Bat Family books, and then more importantly, the Robin title. Now, something that I did really like about the Robin title, that Robin is really centered and grounded in the Batman universe, because you know you have Batman and Robin. So uh, the Robin book uh, usually always uh, dipped its toe into whatever storyline was going in the Batman title. And that happens uh, quite a bit throughout Robin's run. And we're going to be taking a look at most of those as we uh, feasibly can. Uh, we can't talk about the start of the Robin ongoing series without mentioning Nightfall. Now, for me to cover Nightfall just to get into the Robin series uh, would be a really long... This would turn into a Nightfall podcast. But again, Robin is directly involved in the Nightfall saga. And his book uh, dips in and out through uh, the latter part of that, starting in Night's Quest and then you know the Crusade and all that. We will be looking at a good chunks of some of those stories that Robin is in but not necessarily going through every single book that Nightfall goes through. But on the other hand, a story like War Games, we are going to look at the entire run of the War Games war crime saga. Because that particular story, even though, again, it is a Batman story, it has some real big ramifications for Rob and Stephanie Brown, for you Stephanie Brown fans out there, and is a book that I've always wanted to cover in its entirety. And somebody could ask, well, Rob, what about No Man's Land? That is something we probably won't do. I have been collecting all the books leading up to No Man's Land, Cataclysm and Aftershock, and, you know, of course, obviously No Man's Land. Um, I've even toyed with the idea of maybe doing a small mini uh, 
No Man's podcast, but there's kind of one already going around uh, the Batman universe, so we may just kind of sidestep that, and I may even just direct you towards that podcast, since they are already a, a good amount of a way through the No Man's Land part of the podcast. But we might see what Robin was doing around the No Man's Land, because if we just kind of skip No Man's Land and then start immediately after everything's over, there will be some disjointedness. But uh, stories like the resurrection of Ra's al Ghul, we will definitely be taking a look at. So there's a lot of books, not only just Robin that we're going to cover here. We'll be looking at, you know, Batman, Robin, Detective Comics, Nightwing, Catwoman, Azrael, whatever books that really kind of impact not only the Robin title, but Tim Drake it himself. And we'll kind of go through those books uh, chronologically as they happen, and we will kind of sift our way through. But the main focus is going to be eventually the Robin ongoing series once we can get there through Tim's uh, training and upbringing. And before I really started, you know, what I would call uh, collecting comics properly, I kind of put things in chronologically. Uh, I collected all of my books, regardless of what they were. It's kind of the order in which things happened. Uh, I usually kind of kept all the Tim stuff all together. But even now in my comic book collection, if I have a story that starts in, let's say, Batman, and then all the other Bat Family books dip into the ongoing Batman story, then books like Nightwing, Catwoman, Robin, Azrael, all those books actually get filed in with, along with my Batman books since those books won't make any sense outside of themselves if you just read them as standalone issues as they're part of a greater whole. Maybe I'm the only one that does that, but it helps me when I want to go read something to go, okay, well, this story takes place in Batman, and then it jumps into Robin, and Robin is in box J, so let me go to box J. So I, that's kind of how I do my collecting, and that's kind of how we're going to do the podcast as those events happen quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes like you can see, but kind of in real time that uh, Tim was going through things, That's those are the events that we will be taking a look at. Uh, the, this first episode is going to be called Beginnings because this is going to be the beginnings of me really collecting comics and getting introduced to Tim. And I kind of feel like back in 1989 when Tim made his first debut in year three is when I was really starting to appreciate and enjoy collecting comics. And I can remember going into my freshman year of high school and the summer was ending in 89 and my aunt was moving like we do in my family. Uh, the whole entire family helps somebody move so that way you get it in and out and done in a day. So once we were uh, done helping my aunt move, I saw a 7-Eleven. Now, some people may not remember what a 7-Eleven is. Most of them are closed around me. I think there's still a few open, but that would be your CVS or Rite Aid or convenient type of store. But back in the day, you could uh, get comic books off the spinner rack. And uh, I asked my dad if I could run over to the 7-Eleven. And he said, yeah, sure, you know, bring back some pop. And I always came back with pop. And, of course, like in a young adolescent, I've come back more than what I was supposed to. But I always usually brought comics, a uh, couple comics home. And uh, I saw Robin on the front of a comic. And that's all I needed to know. And I noticed uh, the numbering system. They had 438 there. And also on the same rack, which was probably very rare to happen was 439 batman uh, 438 and 439 so i thought well this is uh two issues it looks like it's the same to be continued and i bought them and didn't realize that i had picked up the end 
of a story that was going on in Batman Year 3. So uh, going into my freshman year of high school and being in my first art class and you're being a freshman, you're kind of a little uh, unsure of yourself and you're the low man on the totem pole. And I remember being in art class, and this is uh, an image I'll never forget, is the senior that was uh, that I was seated next to, probably after our second or third week of school, we got to do uh, an art project of our choice. And uh, she was talking about comic books and just different type of art things. I can't remember what I chose to draw in that class, but the gentleman sitting next to me in art class was drawing this picture of what I could tell was Robin. And I said, oh, is that Robin? He said, yeah, you know, Batman and Robin, he enjoyed reading comic books. And as the days kind of went by, I started seeing the image, and it looked like Robin was uh, splattered with blood. And I remember, you know, looking at him from my painting or whatever it is that I was doing that I was uninterested in, And after it was complete, I was kind of, you know, I'm a freshman. I shouldn't say anything to the senior. I asked him after the project was over. I said, that's really cool. I said, but why is Robin covered in blood? And he said, have you ever read Death of the Family? And I said, no, I hadn't. He said, well, that's the issue that Robin dies in. And immediately I was like, they killed Robin? They killed my favorite character? And he's like, whoa, whoa, you read comic books? And I said, well, yeah, I have a few. And he told me, do yourself a favor, go to a local comic book store, which I really didn't know what that was. But I asked my mother to uh, go into uh, town with her that day and went to the comic book store. And he said, ask for a trade paperback. And I had no idea what the trade paperback was, but I picked up Death of the Family and I read it. And it was instantly like, I can't believe they killed Robin, but who is this Jason Todd? So I couldn't wait till... The following Monday to get back to school and ask him all about it. What happened to Dick Grayson? What's going on? And he told me that there is a series that has started. He's like, it's going to be called A Lonely Place of Dying. He's like, I'm not sure what it is. He's like, but I think, you know, something could be happening with the uh, Dick Grayson character. He Maybe he's coming back to being Robin. He's like, and this comes out of Batman Year 3. And I was like, I, I have Batman Year 3. I didn't realize Uh, for a while that I was still missing the first two issues of Batman Year 3. And uh, little did I know that uh, going into Lonely Place of Dying, I was going to become such a fan uh, of the Tim Drake character. I was already a fan of the Robin character. And I fell in love with the idea of the Robin character, mainly for the reason that Robin was created. It gave Batman somebody to talk to and to have a dialogue with. And it gave the reader uh, somebody to relate to. It was kind of hard to read uh, Batman and kind of relate to what Bruce Wayne was going through, what Batman was going through. But you could relate to Robin more than you could Batman of how cool would that be to be able to be swinging through the rooftops and look over to your left or right and there's Batman and what things you could learn from Batman. So that just drew me right in that idea of the, the mentor or the, you know, knight to the squire. If you're talking the king and the knights of the round table uh, type of thing that just really intrigued me that almost buddy cop uh, between Batman and Robin and uh, that just really drew me in. So that's what I'd really like to do with this podcast is to kind of be able to show 
well, show for you to listen to why uh, Robin is such a big, you know, I would say influence in my in my comic book reading and why Robin is such my is my favorite superhero. And I've got, you know, tons of action figures and books and comics, and a lot of them deal with Robin. And I know this is on the Batman universe, but for me, it's the Robin universe. And Batman is a great and wonderful part of the Robin universe, and you can't have Robin without Batman. But Robin is what I latched on to. So I hope you guys are, guys and or gals are going to be um, as excited to go through this run as I am. I'm only aware of one other Robin podcast, and Tom Panarese does a wonderful job on taking flight. And he's kind of looking at uh, Dick Grayson and Nightwing and kind of Robin as a whole and all the different Robins and just the different books and stories that they're doing. And this is just going to focus on uh, Tim Drake primarily. So without further ado, let's get into the very first episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Batman 436, Year 3, Different Roads, written by Marv Wolfman, pencils by Pat Broderick, inks by John Beatty, letters by John Costanza, Adrian Roy's the colorist, Dan Rapsler is a associate editor, Denny O'Neill, editor, and Batman created by, of course, a guy by the name of Bob Kane. Batman sits high top of a building, overlooking the waterfront, waiting. We hear broadcast news coming from a boat in the harbor. The headline news from WGCN. It says that there are no new clues on the crime war that is going on in Gotham. Another news, the oldest orphanage in Gotham is set to close next month after 100 years. Up next, the traffic. Batman is tracking a vessel called the Deep Waters and is waiting for a sign. Batman has been tracking suspicious mob killings, but no one seems to know how, who, or where or what is behind them. At this moment, Batman hears the whirling of a helicopter blade over the harbor. It's the WGCN copter. But what's it doing here? Shouldn't it be over covering the traffic? Batman's informant has told him that there has been a hit placed on Jacoby tonight, and the news copter is headed right for the boat Batman is tracking. And it looks like the informant might be right for once. And Batman is too late as the copter open fires and kills everyone on board, including Jacoby. Batman fires his grappling line to the copter and races towards it. The pilot starts hurling Batman into buildings and parts of the bridge, trying to shake Batman off. The rope starts to burn through Batman's Kevlar gloves as he tries to hold on. But as the copter races to the next building, Batman slams into the building and is forced to dive into the water below. Gordon is waiting at the water's edge for Batman and tells him, Well, you tried. Batman fires back, obviously not hard enough, and walks away. Gordon, the police officer's... Uh, can see how battered and bruised he is and wonders why Batman is pushing himself so hard. In Gotham Municipal Court, a parole hearing is going on to determine whether or not Tony Zucco should be let out of prison and is up for parole. Zucco's attorneys believe that he has paid for his crimes and that he would be an asset to the city. The parole board then asks for representatives for the Grayson's behalf to speak, as this person has done ever since Zucco has been eligible for parole. A gentleman sits down and begins to speak. Meanwhile, in Wayne Manor, Dick Grayson walks around the mansion looking to talk to Bruce, but he knows it's late, and he should have known better that Bruce would be out. Dick takes some comfort in that, as he could use the time. It's almost hard to believe sometimes that he grew up here. Has it only been two years since he left? The size of the mansion never seems to disappoint Dick. 
Dick walks through the mansion to the library and accesses the secret entrance to the Batcave, and he walks down the stairs to the main level of the cave. He marveled as a kid how large the cave was and everything in it. Now he just wishes he brought a sweater. Alfred was right. The last trophies that Bruce had collected were the cases that Dick and Bruce had worked with. But there's nothing of Jason's, not a single thing to remind one that he was Robin alongside Batman, except for one single empty case. What was in it? Back up in Wayne Manor, Dick walks around. There are no photos on the wall of Jason to tell anyone that Jason even lived there. Even in Bruce's own private bedroom, there was no sign that Jason was real. He was flesh and blood. He was your son, Bruce. What happened to you? Back in the parole board meeting, the gentleman said to think of the senseless act of violence that changed a young boy's life forever. Tony grew up, Tony grew up with hate and hurt from a young age, and there was no reason to think that he will ever change. How could Tony ever change? Tony, his brothers, saw anger at a young age, and when Tony's parents were killed, his younger brothers were adopted, but Tony was, was sent to an orphanage. That was when the hate really started. Even nun Mary Elizabeth couldn't get through to him. He even once tried to attack her. He left the orphanage and started a life of crime. It wasn't long before he became part of a large crime family in Gotham. He even took notes at the meeting so he could learn all that he possibly could to be the best at what he could do for them. The attorney for Zuko said, yes, yes, we've heard this all before. I wanted to continue with the parole hearing, but the gentleman said, this isn't about the ones that Tony has killed. This is about the one that survived, the boy, Richard Grayson. It was almost 10 years ago. Dick is practicing with his family as they're about ready to go to the high wire for that day's circus activities. It was just another day at the circus. Dick was wanting to hang out with his friends at the circus after the routine was over, going to the movies with Harry or being fawned over by Maggie, even playing with Eleanor the elephant, even making plans with his dad to go to the World Series in a few days. They even stopped on their way to the performance to take a picture with a family and their son, Tim. Dick even got Tim to smile. That was the last photo ever taken of the Flying Graysons. The gentleman held it in his hands as he told the story. It was Dick Grayson that overheard Mr. Haley being threatened by Tony Zuko for protection money. Dick raced to tell his parents what he had heard, but it was showtime, and Dick's story would just have to wait. All were in attendance, Tim and his parents. Tim's mother said, if you practiced him, you could be just like Dick Grayson. Even the wealthy playboy Bruce Wayne made an appearance at the circus. Dick performed his signature quadruple flip. Tim and the crowd watched in amazement. Now it was John and Mary's turn. They swung out on the trapeze and suddenly the line snapped. Screams were heard and the fall seemed to last forever. Tim's mother covered her son's eyes, but you couldn't forget something like that. The circus family came to rush to Dick's side. Then suddenly from the top of the tent, the Batman appeared. Batman looked at the rope when he landed and saw that it was obviously cut. Dick approached the Batman and said he overheard Mr. Haley arguing with a man named Tony Zuko. He must be responsible. The Batman promised Dick that Zuko would not get away with it and ran off to track him down just as Commissioner Gordon arrived. Later on, Gordon dropped off Dick at the very same orphanage that Zuko once lived at for a short time as a child. Sister Mary was still there, but this boy was different, wasn't angry, he was hurt, and just needed comfort. The gentleman finished saying that Zuko did this for money and caused the death of two people and almost caused the death of a third. The gentleman pleaded with the board to rethink on the release of Tony Zuko. At this, the gentleman, Alfred Pennyworth, stands up and walks out of the courtroom. 
Alfred had written a letter to Dick saying that he feared for Bruce's well-being and refuses to acknowledge Jason's death. If Dick was going to find Bruce, he was going to have to do it as Nightwing. Batman watched the Manchester Mansion for two hours after trying to track down the copter. It was home to the largest cocaine cutting operation. This must be the next target on the mob killings. The news copter was at the mansion. Batman had to act fast. Batman crashes through the window. Crooks or not, a life was a life. He tried to warn them that they were in danger, but they thought that the Batman was there to arrest them. At this time, the news copter fired into the mansion, launching all missiles and weapons at the mansion. And then suddenly, a tremendous explosion occurred. The men in the copter figured that no one could have survived. Can Batman escape? One hint. The worst is yet to come. All right, that was the very large and dense synopsis for Batman 436. Uh, the normal synopsises or synopsises, synopsises, whatever the word, <laughs> uh, generally won't be this uh, intense. Uh, but these four issues are just very dense in what's going on. You have a current continuity in the Bat title that's going on, plus the origin story of Dick Grayson that is sprinkled out through uh, these uh, first four issues that we're going to be looking at. So just because of that, uh, normally I would do two uh, issues in episode two or three, but for these uh, first couple episodes, I'm probably going to keep them to one issue per episode um, unless, you know, the tail end is just uh, not as dense, but um, I, I believe they're all going to be. And uh, these uh, two issues, 436 and 437, um, I had to get them digitally. These were always uh, two issues that I wanted to get to complete uh, my, you know, Tim Drake story uh, collection. And uh, for whatever reason, I it wasn't on my radar to pick them up. I always kept thinking, oh, I'll get them, oh, I'll get them. Or when I did remember, uh, the comic book shop or convention I would go to didn't have them. And none of the Batman Year 3 has been reprinted. As if I pull up a good old Wikipedia here, it says uh, Year Three is a comic book storyline published in the United States by DC Comics. DC Comics, which explores Batman's third year as a crime fighter, is written by Marv Wolfman and penciled by Pat Broderick. Originally appeared in Batman 436 through 439 through the months of August and September 1989, which were published semi-monthly and featured covers by the wonderful George Perez. It doesn't say wonderful George Perez, but the covers on here are very good. Um, and it's also interesting to note that the price for this was a whopping 75 cents. Can you imagine paying 75 cents today for a, a comic? I thought uh, that would be uh, extraordinary if it ever went to a dollar, but we're paying three ninety nine for an issue. Some are... I don't know if they're worth three ninety nine. Um, I thought a buck twenty five was uh, a pricey. And remember, DC Comics said we're they're drawing the line at two ninety nine. Uh, now we're doing a three ninety nine and uh, pushing five dollars sometimes, even seven dollars. I paid recently for some comics. Um, this is a, a sequel of sorts to the previous Batman Year One and Batman Year Two storylines, which were all edited by uh, Dennis O'Neill and produced a by different creative teams, uh, and it's the last in the sequence. Unlike its predecessors, uh, Batman Year 3 has never been collected in trade paperback form. Uh, if I was DC Comics, what I probably would have done 
is I would have collected this in a lonely place of dying and put them uh, all together. I think this is a great uh, a companion piece for a lonely place of dying, and it should be because the very next story that starts is a lonely place of dying. I know right now in uh, some of the newer publications of uh, of Batman Death in the Family, uh, Lonely Place of Dying is at the end of that, and I think they could have taken it one step further and in one giant uh, trade paperback, or broken it up into three, but let's just, for argument's sake, one, one giant trade paperback has put Death of the Family, Batman Year 3, and Lonely Place of Dying all in one shot. I think that would have uh, made it for a very good uh, collection. But again, a big whopping 75 cents for this issue back in the day. Now, like I said, I had to get this one digitally. Um, I'm okay. I'm like I'm on the fence with uh, collecting digital comics. I shouldn't say collecting. I would rather much have real comics bagged and board. It's kind of hard to bag and board your cell phone and pull it out of your box and go, oh, look at this issue. Uh, but for being able to get an issue... Uh, relatively quick and not have to go around if you just want to read the issue and doing the podcast was a great way to be able to just purchase this issue and uh, have it for this purposes but me being a collector I am going to go out and actually pick up these two missing issues so from time to time I may do them digitally uh, what I'd like to do is go through the ads uh, like some other podcasters do and I always think that's kind of fun to see what advertisements were going on in DC Comics but uh Again, uh, George Perez does the uh, front cover art for all of the issues for Batman Year 3. And they're just beautiful. This uh, first cover is kind of in blue and uh, like a, a blue scale for the most part, with the exception of a spotlight shining down on Dick Grayson, who is uh, crying at the uh, his parents' uh, bodies that have fallen from the trapeze and you get the single broken rope from the trapeze and you have uh, Batman silhouetted uh, silhouetted in blues and grays with uh, Nightwing and Alfred there too and you kind of see Sister Mary uh, in the distance as well. Just a really good cover. Um, and like with all stories, this is taking a beat from the previous issue where Batman is tracking down some mob bosses, but for uh, this, uh, this context... Uh, it's just basically uh, another day as far as uh, we're concerned. I do remember actually reading this when it first came out. A friend of mine, uh, who I later found out was collecting comics, as you know, for a while people don't say that they collect comics till somebody says, hey, I, I collect comics. Well, I do too. And he had these two issues, and I had the back two issues. So it was kind of cool once we both uh, realized we were both collecting comics that I did get to read uh, this in actual comic book form as opposed to being digital here. But I like the suspension of disbelief as uh, Batman is going to track down the helicopter and he pulls out a harpoon gun. You don't see him pull out the harpoon gun, but it's like the utility belt can hold anything. So he's got this gigantic harpoon gun that he shoots the helicopter with and it's, you know, dragging him through and uh, Batman's getting bounced off uh, buildings and, uh, uh, I just I thought that was really kind of cool that Batman could have anything in that utility belt, and uh, this is going to starting for the mode of Batman is almost not caring at this point. Kind of what happens to him? It's about the mission. If people get in the way, so be it. But he's running himself uh, completely ragged, uh, even to the point where uh, Commissioner Gordon says, "You know, you almost got him." And Batman fires back that you know he he should have and. Uh, they people can tell 
not only you know Alfred, who obviously could tell, but uh, just uh, normal passerbyers or the police force could tell that something a little loopy is going on uh, with Batman. Uh, loopy is probably the wrong word, but uh, Batman's pushing himself to limits that he otherwise normally wouldn't do, and he's very restrained and only uses the force that he has to use, and Batman's going all out, even just as simple as trying to catch a helicopter, which for the normal person would be impossible, but Batman can do anything. The story uh, starts really getting dense here as we get into uh, the municipal building with our gentleman, who is obviously Alfred, uh, going to speak on the behalf of Dick Grayson, that you could have taken these four issues and probably got eight issues out of them because the main story is running in the current continuity at the time back in 89, but you also have the retelling of Dick Grayson's origin and a little bit of Tony Zuko in here. And the origin is is done nice in a series of flashbacks, and it's told by varying different points of view, and it's all about Dick Grayson, which I know you can get a continuity headache from once you start getting into the whole crisis thing, and then every few years DC Comics feels the need to reboot their universe, so... Um, I know after a while, Dick's origin changes just ever so slightly, but we're going to kind of let that go by the wayside. Uh, for the purpose of this story, it's in continuity with what's going on, and we'll deal with the continuity headaches when the continuity headaches uh, start. And up until this point, uh, I don't know if Tony Zuko ever had any other family. I was always assuming that he was just an only child, but you kind of get how and why Tony is the way that he is, and he's up for parole, and uh, his lawyer is saying, oh, he'll be an asset to the community, and I don't know how uh, anybody can say that, but even in our day and time, there are prosecutors saying, look, the person's been reformed, they're very sorry for what they've done, they've acted uh, stupid and immature, and they're grown, they could be a value asset to society, and uh, his lawyer is saying, I think he should be up for parole. He's up in front of the parole board. And that's when Alfred walks in, but we don't know it's Alfred in the panels. And it's it's handled really nicely until the final few panels where you realize it's Alfred speaking on uh, his behalf. And Alfred's probably supposed to be the red herring that you're probably thinking it's Dick Grayson. But I think it's a nice touch that Alfred is not only telling Dick's story, but is also kind of pointing out uh, Tony Zuko's story and saying, look, this guy was a bad seed. His, his parents were rotten to the core. His parents beat them, but because of the way they were raised. And uh, Tony witnessed the death of his own parents. And he was the oldest of the three kids, so he get his uh, siblings get adopted. But Tony's of that age. It's like, well, nobody wants an, an older child, so he has to go uh, stay in an orphanage. So that's where you know Tony's uh, point of view comes from. And then the book does a nice jumping back and forth. And I never thought it was overly complicated to follow the story. It's, you know, we get into Dick Grayson going to Wayne Manor. And you uh, realize that Dick's only been gone a couple years. And he's had his uh, time with the Titans. And now he's kind of in between. Like, is he going to go back to being part of the Titans? They just came out of the you know whole Judas contract. Thing. So Dick's kind of in limbo, and he's been Nightwing for a little bit, and he finds himself back in the Batcave at the request of Alfred, because Alfred's concerned about Bruce, and 
Dick is too, but Dick is also concerned about himself and where his place is in everything. So he, it, I thought it was really cool to be able to tell, um, in story-wise, just the what Dick was feeling as he's going through Wayne Manor. He's looking for Bruce, but uh, just commenting that the size of the mansion is just so large and uh, how awe-inspiring it was to be a kid and run around and also talking about the bat cave that uh, he could spend hours in the bat cave but now being an adult he wishes he had a jacket or Bruce why don't you put a heater in this thing <laughs> and we know it's no secret that uh, Dick was not a fan of Jason Todd depending again where what crisis you're talking about that I always equated that Bruce picks up Jason almost like, if you look at it from a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, and I know this is going down a whole road that people make fun of Batman and Robin for, but if you look at it in the sense of when you date somebody for so long and a breakup happens and it's weird and it's rocky, you'll have that rebound relationship and usually one person dates somebody really quick and you look at them and go, why are you with that person? That person does nothing to build up your character or who you are. It's a typical rebound. And I think Dick kind of looked at Jason like that and looked at Bruce like, what are you doing? Like, I'm out of the cave for like 0.2 seconds and you get this kid off the street who's stealing hubcaps unless you go pre-crisis where he was the exact replica of you dick but we're not going to go there crisis headache so we'll leave that alone but you know he's uh trying to boost the tires off of the batmobile and you bring this kid in almost immediately um which ironically in the next episode we will look at uh bruce does almost exactly exactly that brings dick almost immediately right into the bat cave but we'll we'll get there so i think there was a little bit of resentment a little bit towards Jason between Dick and Jason. But I think Dick got over that after a while. But after the death of Jason, it's apparent that Bruce has, and some people will do this in a, a death situation, that they'll almost want to wipe the existence of the person that has just died. And Dick, or Dick, excuse me, Bruce has done that, has removed all photos from Wayne Manor, even photos in his own personal bedroom. And, uh, it's obviously bothering Alfred, but it's bothering Bruce more. If I don't have to look at it, I don't have to admit that he's gone. And even the trophies that Batman would collect, that maybe the giant uh, roulette wheel that uh, Jason and Bruce uh, fought Two-Face with, that's completely gone. Uh, the wardrobe, the Robin costume, is not up yet at this point, and that's the reference that Dick notices in the Batcave, that it's it's completely gone. And uh, Dick even makes the comment of, like, he was flesh and blood, and you're treating him like he's not even real, and obviously these are things Dick is saying to himself, and it's always easier to say something to yourself rather than have to actually approach the actual individual, but we'll see that as it comes along. And then the comic actually goes back to more of the origin of Tony Zuko. And I think these are all handled uh, rather well. Uh, this is an issue that doesn't have a whole lot of action and punching and running and gunning going on, except in a bookend type form. But uh, I found the story really intriguing and really engaging one of the first times when I actually got to read this all in one shot. 
thanks to my good friend Ryan. Ryan, if you're listening, thank you for uh, letting me be able to read these way back in the day. I think I read these back in 91 or something like that. And uh, I think it's uh, called a little, I want to say poetic justice, but poetic that both Tony and Dick are both taken to the same orphanage after the tragedy befalls both of them losing their parents. But Tony is handling it one way and is uh, wanting a revenge on the person that has killed his parents and wants those people killed. And he has so much hate and anger, but he takes it out and actually cuts uh, Sister Mary a little bit. But you get the flip side of Dick Grayson being brought in uh, by Commissioner Gordon since there are no other living relatives for uh, Dick Grayson that now Sister Mary is kind of at the end of her phase at the orphanage. It can see similar views in these two boys, but the hate that Dick has is more just upset and uh, the loss that he wants somebody to pay, but wants them to pay in a just way. And you can tell that this boy is broken and, and needs something. And very soon he will get that. Of course, this being the podcast for uh, Tim Drake, I had not read uh, the first two parts by the time I get to The Lonely Place of Dying. So seeing the photo reappear in The Lonely Place of Dying that... Uh, Tim and his parents end up taken with the Graysons uh, wasn't the big reveal like, oh my gosh, this is the same kid. Um, I read it, you know, a, a few years later going backwards and I was like, oh, now this all makes sense. So I think that's cool that Dick and his family have this uh, nice uh, banner with each other. Uh, Dick's dad wants to take him to the World Series and they have all these aspirations just like with anything in life. You don't know when that day is. It's going to be your last day. And here comes this nice family that say, hey, you know, our, our son would like to get a photo with you. And this isn't the typical uh, uh, Drakes that we will come to find out soon uh, for Tim Drake. They're just kind of generic people right now. Their characters haven't been flushed here, flushed out yet as they are more of, uh, I would say, millionaires, but kind of more like the uh, Bruce Wayne would be. They have lots of money, but here they're just played more uh, laid back. But we're not getting a whole lot of exposition. We're not really told that they're the Drakes. And uh, I think it's uh, neat that it, depending on the different version of Dick's origin, uh, sometimes the costume is just a bland costume. But I like that the costume here is very much uh, representative of what his Robin costume is going to be. And... Uh, it's something that I've always liked about Dick's origin and Tim's origin, that they are both directly connected to each other, and they are both, and with Bruce too, all at the same place at the same time when the tragedy happens to Dick. And each of those three people are affected differently by said tragedy. You know, Tim is there uh, just as uh, a lover of the circus, and I think it's... It's nice, a little tip to the hat for the a viewer, like, hey, pay attention. Uh, Tim's mother's going to say something very important, like, you know, if you pay attention and you work really hard, you could be just like uh, Dick Grayson yourself. So a little tip to the hat, like, you're going to be Robin, but the reader doesn't know that yet. So, um, And, you know, Bruce Wayne is in attendance here. So when the tragedy ends up happening with uh, Zuko wanting to... Uh, have Mr. Haley pay uh, protection money, doesn't want to, and it's just the random act. I don't think he, 
Zuko was like, okay, I'm going to go after the Graysons. I'm sure it was a low-level thug that was like, uh, Tony's like, I want you to do something. He could have very easily spooked the uh, Eleanor the Elephant to run wild through the uh, circus tent or could have easily been the clown car backfiring and blowing up. It just happened to be the Graysons' wire was cut uh, by Zuko. So it's wrong place, right place, wrong time. Dick even tries to have that moment where he overhears this to tell his parents that, hey, you know, there's something going on. And his parents say, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it in a minute at showtime. So the tragedy could have happened to Dick Grayson. He was the first on the uh, trapeze, but he does his quadruple uh, death backflips and uh, lands safely. And then his parents uh, meet their untimely demise on the trapeze. And... Like I said, Bruce Wayne is in attendance, and it's not really shown in the panels how close uh, Bruce is sitting to Tim Drake. I would like to think they're really close, but you would imagine Bruce has his own special private box. And something that's not addressed a lot in the comics that I think, this is my personal opinion, and if you don't like it, then I'm sorry, but as driven as Bruce Wayne is, I would think on some level somebody told Bruce, uh, probably Alfred, you're out every night, you're tr you're breaking your back, you need to try, just kind of he like Alfred did in Batman Returns, you know, you need to be playing up the wealthy playboy Bruce Wayne, and maybe if you do it just right, maybe you'll accidentally have some fun. So I would think that somebody probably told Bruce, you know what, the circus is coming into town, why don't you take one of your many girlfriends, go to the circus, and just relax. Don't do that thing that you do at night. And on this particular night where Batman, or Bruce Wayne is not Batman, is the exact moment that Dick Grayson loses his parents due to a senseless act. And I'm sure that I've heard people say, I take one minute to do something for fun and look what happens. And instantly, you know, of course, Bruce Wayne always has his costume underneath his outfit. So I'm sure he probably ran to a phone booth. No, wait a minute. That's Superman. Uh, ran somewhere, changed and miraculously shows up. So I think that is the direct connection of why Bruce does what he does to bring Dick Grayson in. It's I was supposed to be out here protecting Gotham City. So nothing like this that happened to me could ever happen to somebody else and I stopped being Batman on this particular day and there is a young boy that is now faced with the same exact tragedy that I have so I think that really lends itself to people always say well why did Bruce Wayne take in a kid it's for this very reason he was supposed to be out there protecting somebody just like Dick and he failed to do so and I always thought that is so poetic that Bruce Wayne is sitting there to see this happen, and he can't do anything about it. He can't leap out and swing down and say something because he's trying to keep that secret identity, but I'm sure at some point that is something he wanted to do. And probably just sitting down, I'd like to imagine, just a little bit farther, is a very young Tim Drake who is seeing this all unfold right in front of him that's going to have a big, lasting impression to him and will eventually lead him to becoming the third Robin. And the way that the panels are drawn, no word balloons, no nothing, as the uh, Graysons fall to their death. And the look 
on Dick Grayson, I think, is probably one of my, it sounds bad to say, but one of my favorite parts. It's so beautifully drawn, and there doesn't need to be any word balloons there. And you even get to see uh, Tim's reaction. His mother's trying to close, cover her son's eyes, but you know he's obviously already seen it. And they put a shot where Bruce Wayne normally would be, but you know he's not there anymore. And uh, it's uh, it's a neat moment to see Batman appear for the first time, but um, he's still kind of that urban myth. People are wondering what he's doing there, and that's uh, the wrap up that we kind of get from this uh, sequence in the book, the uh, telling of Dick's origin that. Uh, Alfred says, you know, all this happened because of Tony Zuko, and there could be no way that a man like this could ever be trusted. Uh, he killed two people and almost killed a third one, referring to Dick Grayson. And then, of course, it picks back up into the current uh, continuity with Dick being at the Batcave and realizes if he's going to track down Bruce, he knows where Bruce is. He knows Bruce isn't home. He's out being the Batman. So... Dick Grayson can't find it, but maybe Nightwing can, and proceeds to track him down while Bruce is en route to finding the smugglers. And I think it's kind of funny and ironic that um, Batman tracks down the cocaine dealers, and it's a mob hit, so Batman has to jump in and break through a window and say, okay, guys, I know you're in here cutting cocaine, but I'm trying to save your life. And while he's doing so... Everybody's firing at him. It's a good series of panels here while Batman is trying to dodge bullets from the people inside the building and dodge bullets from outside the building of the mansion being uh, blown up. And that's really going to do it for this episode. We're kind of leaving a little bit of a cliffhanger here. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, these couple issues, or these four issues, are really dense, and I thought this would be a rather large podcast to try and do two episode, two issues per episode. So I'm going to kind of, kind of leave you wanting just a little bit more, but I hope you'll tune in in uh, two weeks as we look at 437, the second part in Batman Year 3. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this podcast, and I will sign off. Thanks for listening to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are in the copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it, much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as well. You can find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyonelovesthedrake. There you can leave comments on the current episodes, also, as well, you can head over to the Batman Universe, your home for all things Batman and Robin. You can leave a comment there as well. If you'd like to email, you could also do that by sending me one, and then I'll read it. So send it to me at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And again, I'll read it on air. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We will see you in a few weeks. Take care.